Welcome to the Millennial Pastor Podcast, the podcast where we talk about the intersection between faith and culture. I'm your host, Josiah. And I'm your co-host, Byron. And all is right in the world because we're, we're together again. Together, yes. d- together for, there, there's some song I feel like I need to reference now. Is it Together Forever? What is that song? Uh, I got nothing. I'm, I'm thinking, but I, I don't know. All I know is that, I don't know when this recording is coming out, but it's going to be a while, but like last weekend from when we're recording now, I did a podcast. I, I did a recording with Ryan and Trevor and I had to be the host and I sucked. It Is was that like, your I apology? No, well, no, because Ryan edited, I think most of it out. So like he did a good job. But <laughs> like when I first started, I was like, welcome to the Little Pastor Podcast. I totally choked. Like I lost, I, I, I couldn't remember what we were saying. I, I, I don't say it very often. So I screwed it up. And we had to completely restart because I did a I did a bad job. So it's better so, when we're together, is what you're saying. I have to do less work when we're together, so I really appreciate. I got it the song. That. I got the song. It's what reunited it? and it feels so good. Right? Is that it, Byron? Was that the song? That is a, that's a song about being back together. So yeah, I guess. Okay, I think after that awkwardness, sponsor plug. Yeah, let's do it. Okay. And we're back. On today's podcast, we're going to have to talk about this for a second. Uh, maybe you noticed we have new intro and outro theme music, and the person who made that music is our guest today. Andrew, tell us a little bit about yourself. Oh, man. Uh, I am Andrew Jones. I am the brother of Josiah Jones, who is talking to me right now. Byron is my... Uh, Byron's basically my brother too. Uh, gosh, what what is there about me that people want to know? Uh, I don't know. I could ask you the question my kids asked. They said, "Wait, yeah. un- Uncle Andy really did that? How could he make music? That doesn't seem real." Yeah, I uh, make music in my <laughs> spare time. <laughs> I showed them my music room recently, and they thought it was the craziest thing ever. And all of his cactuses. He has like the coolest music room ever. He's got this dope, huge couch and he's got, I don't know, 20 different cactus or succulents or something. Yeah. Well, let, I, I, I want to, I'm, I'm, I'm incredibly privileged for the next year to have a music room. I, this is, this is a first in my life. <laughs> I don't want to, I want people to think I'm some like rich butthole. Who's <laughs> got this like fancy music room. I moved to Arizona and we happen to have a spare bedroom that I can use to put all my cactuses and guitars in. And, and I'm sure we'll touch on why you moved to Arizona soon. But before oh, that, yes. just uh just a shout out, Andy, we we've been putting in the description. I think I forgot to put it in the last one, but I'll make sure and, and edit that. And it'll be in this description of this episode, a link to your, your musical digital address, your website, your the place band, where you're putting in camp. Yeah, that's the one. You got you, you may have an album coming out in a minute. Yes. I uh I got twelve songs that are in a very specific order that have very specific transitions that are almost done recording. Uh 
in terms of <laughs> getting people to throw drums and other stuff on there. All my recording stuff is done, but it costs money to pay people to record stuff. And I want to pay people fairly. So it's taking some time. Yeah. But yes. Well, and before we go down the rabbit hole too much of just like having familiar conversations with each other, I should make mention that on today's episode, I am actually the only pastor technically, right? <laughs> and, and by the time, by the, by the time this podcast <laughs> drops, I may be unemployed as a pastor technically, um, but I'm still, I still technically have a pastor license and that's, that's on purpose. We're actually taking just a quick break from this whole COVID conversation, sort of, because we were primarily interviewing pastors and how they're navigating 2020 into 2021 with all the COVID considerations and all that jazz, because I've actually been wanting for a very long time to have this interview conversation with my little brother, because I think technically, I, may, I don't know which one maybe feels more honest, a descriptor for you, Andy, but uh, Andrew, shoot, I'm going to keep doing that all episode. I'm just let it fly. Call, call me Andy. Okay. Andy. <laughs> We, we once upon a time interviewed a good friend of yours. I mean, mutually good friend of ours who was a nun and done. Um, Cassidy. Cassidy. And I think it's safe to say you might fall into that category as well. Is, is that fair? The nun and done category? One of them. I don't know if there's one that you, you kind of feel like you fit more or what. Because nun, based on whoever made up these terms, nun is like done with faith, done with church done is more just done with church still open to conversations about faith i mean if i'm being honest probably a mix of both really i don't know if i, I if i could fully fully go with either one 100 percent. i think barna would put you in done for that reason <laughs> but whatever you want to do that's <laughs> that's fine because the i think they try to make it really clear in some of their fact finding that like if you're none then you're like closed off to everything but duns are still maybe open to conversations of spiritual natures of a well, spiritual nature i guess i guess i'm here you're here so you don't get fined marshawn lynch anyone no <laughs> i'm here so i don't get fined Oh man! Well, Wait, we can I, find people for not being on our podcast. Wouldn't yeah. that be incredible? We just found some revenue, bud. <laughs> <laughs> well, I find it intriguing. Our stories. We're gonna we're gonna get into sort of our our upbringing and and all that jazz in some way, shape, or form. But before we do, I feel like me and Byron need to take a minute and uh, and go back to our roots. What do you think, Byron? Let's do it. Are you ready for Play the first I, games? I got to do the intro. We got to have some fun. My brother's on here. It's it's a pretty big deal. So we need to play. <laughs> How millennial are you? For me. How millennial am I? Yes, it's for you. It's about how millennial you are. So, oh, man. Are you ready for this game? Well, yeah. I'm 28, so I guess I'm like smack dab in the middle of being a millennial, right? Well, we'll find out. We're going to score you out of three. Out of three questions, we're going to figure out how millennial you are, so go for it, buddy. Okay, so this is a big one. And you also lived in the Bay Area for a while, so a good long while, So and and Southern California as well. So what do you spend weekly on coffee and avocado? Um, I mean, truthfully, uh, probably close to like $5. I worked at a coffee shop, so I never paid for coffee in the last ten years. And uh, so you're cheating. I'm, I'm, I'm like, yeah, <laughs> sure, yeah. 
you're a coffee <laughs> professional, so that's even better. Yeah, no, even more millennial of you. I don't pay for coffee. Coffee costs too much. But you have a job where you can get it for free, so that's like next level millennial. Yeah, it's pretty tight. So I get, I get the, I not only do I get coffee for free, I get, I get fancy San Francisco roasted coffee for free. Coffee that's twenty five dollars for twelve ounces of coffee, not even a pound. <laughs> Are you serious? Yeah. I mean, oh sometimes, sometimes that that's like medium. That's like sometimes it's twenty, sometimes it's thirty. Oh my gosh. Why do yeah. people drink coffee? I don't get it. <laughs> I think he scores a point in the millennial category in the millennial column on that yeah. one. Yeah. Well, I do have a quick question. Then you talk about coffee. What about avocados? Do you are you a avocado guy? You know, what's funny is I, uh, I didn't. I bought avocados a lot. Yeah, in the last ten years living in California because they're just everywhere. Um, but I feel like I've bought more avocados since I've been living in Flagstaff than I ever did in San Francisco because. I don't know. I, cause I miss, I miss Mexican food so much from California that I'm just like trying to recreate it here and I'm not eating out in Arizona because you shouldn't do that because coronavirus, everybody <laughs> wear a mask. Hashtag yeah. blessed. Is, uh, are you the, <laughs> are you the avocado coffee connoisseur or is it like you and your lady love is Emily just as down with all that as you, or are you the driving force behind any of that stuff? Driving force behind avocados and coffee. Is she just? Is she? Is uh, the coffee love the same between the two of you? Emily doesn't drink coffee. I didn't know that. Emily, uh, what? She stopped drinking coffee probably a year, year and a half ago. A uh, very, very rarely drinks it. It's a, it's a anxiety thing. It, it, it's a, it's a caffeine snow boy now. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. What about avocados? Uh, yeah, I, I've been making. I've been making a bowl of uh, guacamole every week, and so we've been downing that. So millennial yes. dude, one but, of the millennial columns for sure. And well, and and if there's any left over, I tend to throw it on toast every now and again. Oh my so. goodness, that's almost two in the millennial column. All right, well, you're one, one for whatever. Definitely but a point. My next, my next question, simple. Uh, <laughs> how many participation trophies did you get as a kid? I should know this, but I'm gonna let you Partici- answer participation trophies and i'm we're gonna here here's the thing does does I've, like win, winning something in track and field or cross country count no that doesn't count right no, if you that's, just, that's winning that's different just okay. participation like you showed up so they're like hey here's a thing well and uh, i know for a fact there's a thing that you got because i got it all the time too and it had ayso on it but it was oh, worn well, around yeah neck. so so I suppose, I mean, I guess, yeah, my like my my early elementary school days soccer league, I got I got medals. Uh, other than that, um, I remember getting like a participation ribbon for throwing a drawing in the state fair. <laughs> nice. That's that's the cl- I mean, other than the soccer thing, that's the only thing that comes to mind, truthfully. I actually don't think we were raised with too much entitlement, but like you couldn't escape it as a millennial. You got something for participating in something at some point, probably. So I don't know. I don't know if we score that one too severely against him because it's not well, like he's a I mean, mantle. You got the AYSO stuff. I get that. Like that's the funny thing, though. Like we always talk about, like people blame us for getting participation trophies. Yet we were small children. Yeah. So we didn't make plans and order these things. Our parents did or other people around that's, their age. That's so, exactly my like, view too. Is I I didn't ask for that trophy. I didn't ask to get a participation trophy. Just fun- like, I got one in high school and I wanted to throw it away. 
<laughs> it was I was not happy about it. Um, but either way, like my whole football team in, in high school, our uh, JV team, we had a terrible year. We had no players though. Everybody got all of our best players in our grade got taken to varsity, and like we did, ter- we won one game out of like ten. And uh, they gave us all of the, they call the warrior award because it's a crappy year. And they're like, oh, you guys, you know, you fought through it. We're like, and all of us were like, I'm going to throw this away. Like, we yeah. were not happy about it. Freaking boomers. But, yeah. I don't know. I mean, I appreciate the gesture, I guess, especially in that because <laughs> their thing was like, not just like, oh, you showed up. It was like, this year sucked for everybody, including the coaches. So they're like, hey, you guys kept trying. Like, we appreciate your effort. Boomers created the participation like, trophy, man. Well, it doesn't matter because you're accused for receiving it. So I think because this stereotypical game is slighted against you, you're two for two so far. Oh, yeah, definitely. (laughs) Okay, next one. Fair enough. How many times have you gone on to, like, YouTube to look up how to adult something? Every day. (laughs) Uh, There's some examples. Well, okay. Well, adult something. (laughs) So if something's really stumping me, and it has to do with like house stuff or like car stuff. I'll call Josiah or dad about that stuff. So they're like in-person YouTube. So <laughs> they're first, first line of defense, car stuff, Josiah, dad, house stuff, Josiah, dad. <laughs> After that, it's like YouTube's for everything else. YouTube's like, I don't know how to mix bass into a track. I don't know how to mix drums into it. So I'm going to use YouTube for that. I don't know how to, like right now, I just I just did this. Okay, here's a good. This is oh man, this is full circle. Uh, <laughs> I I made guacamole this week and I saved one of the pits because I want to grow an avocado tree. And so I I YouTubed how to how to sprout uh, avocado seed, which is now in my closet in my music room in a little uh, plastic baggie wrapped in wet paper towels, so I can plant it eventually. Bro, yeah, that's your music and avocado room. That's yeah. millennial inception. I think yeah. for the three <laughs> points tight. possible to be scored, you scored five somehow. That's ridiculous. <laughs> but the the avocado tree will not fruit most likely because they have to graft avocado trees to make them fruit. Really? Yeah. So avocado. Uh, that's most most fruiting trees. You can't you can't grow. This is a totally. This is the. This has nothing to do with any of this. Actually, let's ignore everything we're going to talk about. Let's just talk about just this. We're just going to do a tutorial on growing I, avocados. I just drove through the Central Valley like five times this like last two months. So I saw lots of lots of fruit trees, lots of nut trees, lots of grafted trees. It's, it's a it's a huge market. It's a huge. Uh, uh, I mean, everywhere in the Central Valley, there's like one type of tree that has a root system with another tree grafted into it. It's because, big money because you can't grow it from seed. It won't fruit the same. It's crazy, man. That's well, interesting. I've never heard that. Byron, I, I think it's safe to say we can refer to the judges and interns, but Andy like scored five out of three probably in that round of millennial stereotypes. I would say he's pretty millennial want, according to our dumb. I want dad to take this test. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? Maybe one day. Well, I mean, you know Mo, right? Yeah. So he's the most millennial person we've ever had on this podcast. He's not a millennial at all. He's too old. But he's but, way more millennial than anybody else. Mo? Yeah, it's like there's something to be said about stereotypes being unhelpful or something weird. Speaking of, let's continue with unproductive stereotypes. So, Andy, if you remember, we did this with Cassidy um, and the game was called How Much of a Sinner Are You? Because 100 100%. (laughs) 
because the obvious uh <laughs> the obvious no-no about all this stuff is apparently once you stop attending a building between the hours of 10 and noon on a Sunday morning, you're basically a heathen and we well, should I avoid got you. Six years compounded of that then. So, uh, compounded man. interest. Okay, well, yeah. I mean, these I'm next couple these next couple questions are gonna be super fun then. So um, I'm going to start, Barnes got one, and then we're, we're going to close it up. Uh, but actually, before we get to the full-on interview, I do want to point out some things after this because there's there's a method to the madness. And yes, just like with the, the episode with Cassidy, we kind of put disclaimers on this. Like, this is meant to be tongue-in-cheek. I mean, this is my brother. I don't actually, whatever. If you can't get the humor of it, I explaining it's not going to help. Um, so first question, Andrew. Um, I mean, why do you hate Jesus? Oh man, gosh, that's a that's a really brash question. I don't. <laughs> oh, what you don't? But like you don't go but, to this building on Sunday mornings. You clearly yeah, if you don't go to church. I, you clearly I, hate Jesus. Very, very much admire the life of Jesus. Oh well, that's weird because I mean I thought you were this heathen. So, oh, yeah. well, moving on from that. <laughs> Uh, that's a crazy disappointment. answer yeah disappointing um so you're obviously opposed to everything you were ever taught in church so oh, yeah like do you everything. basically worship satan now oh yeah yeah <laughs> do you not see the pentagram on my forehead oh my goodness uh, you well make we can but like Zoom. when our when our family watches or listens to this later they won't be able to see it so no i don't worship satan but i do find it ironic that that twitter handle the church of satan is promoting equal rights for people and it's ironic and i don't see that from a lot of other people that's interesting it's interesting you point that out andrew i would not disagree um so third question um can we even still be brothers i mean because like you know you're a heathen and stuff i suppose i suppose we can still be brothers yes so full disclosure folks like as laughable as this is uh andy and i have had an interesting journey over the past couple years even before the awfulness that is 2020 where we actually had a whole lot of similarity in parallel in our own lives if you compare age-wise like where we were at 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 certain points in our approaching adulthood but at some point i don't know andy i'm just curious um at some point did you feel sort of ostracized for no longer participating in what we perceive as normal church life? Uh, yes. <laughs> Very much so. Just, just just, in broad terms, I mean, like, is there anything specific to that? Because that, that, the whole point of this stupid one, this stupid, you know, it's no longer millennial stereotypes, is like, oh my goodness, I didn't see you in a pew on Sunday morning. Obviously, your life is falling apart and you're probably going straight well, there. Yeah. So the last time I, I went to, hmm, well, I guess, so the last time I went to church on my own terms, is that weird to say? No, that's <laughs> was when I was working, was when I was, when I was working for the church was when I was intentionally going working and trying to better my community that I was living in. Uh, and I ended up quitting and not going anymore after that. And, uh, there was uh, not much communication uh, from my uh, my coworkers, and uh, a fair amount of communication from uh, friends at church, uh, fellow churchgoers, and I'm still in communication with some of those people today. 
just talked to literally one of them today, actually, someone that I met at church. So it's interesting to think, I, this is how I see it. I'm curious if you agree or disagree or at what point um, maybe we, we have some similarity in our perspectives on this, but for all intents and purposes, we had relatively similar upbringings. Um, mm-hmm. Five years apart. Uh, after we graduate from high school, we go on, leave, leave the nest as soon as we physically possibly could. Got out Bakersfield for some reason. Andy actually moved out to live with me for a minute, which was great, but it'd be better than Chino, I guess. I think it was slightly better than Chino. It was, Um, there's a pool and a pomegranate tree. That was tight. That was dope. The bigger place. Yeah. So. It, more things were, were happening. But uh, after that, um, you know, at, at similar ages, you didn't go to college, but pretty early on, you entered into internships and did some very ministry specific things for a number of years. Yeah. Um, but then at some point, obviously, I would say, from my perspective, there was a, a, a di- divergence in our specific engagement with this institution we call church. Is that... Mm-hmm. Does that seem fair? Yeah. You're still in it and I'm not. <laughs> I mean... That's a divergence, the difference. You're ordained, he doesn't go to church. I'm ordained, but the irony that I see in this, and this is what we're going to start some of our similarity with COVID conversations interview style. Um, the irony I see in this is that, I mean, I'm, I'm getting, I'm getting kind of ostracized as well at this point, which is just an ironic spot to be in. 2020 man was was a garbage year right if you yep andy listened to our first podcast by the way byron i had to like give him a heads up because it was this huge family text thing where we were all just sharing stuff with each other and a lot of times we do like a hey heads up a picture of mom's coming your way because it's still it's still just kind of like a jarring thing period so if we're going to talk about a thing if we're going to share a thing like recently Um, our father's pastor shared a story about mom. And so he like shared it with us in a link on a text. And it was just kind of this interesting, like, oh, still a gut punch sort of a thing. Um, But yeah, it's been this interesting thing to reflect back on with 2020. But for Andy, I mean, there's more to it than just my mom passing. I mean, in the beginning of 2020, Andy, you were, you were, uh, you were doing what in San, you were, that was when you're baristaing in San Francisco, right? Yeah, we had lived in San Francisco. We moved there in July of 2019, I believe, June or July of 2019. So we had a good, you know, good run pre-COVID in a really beautiful city. Go San Francisco. Anyone who lives in San Francisco, it's the podcast. The place is wonderful. Uh, but yeah, uh, COVID hit and I was I, I had got a job at the coffee shop um, right after we moved there and, and started working in the pandemic and furloughed for about two months uh uh for truthfully the reason i the the biggest reason i I furloughed was because i wanted to go out and see mom dad and i was like i can't i can't risk getting sick being at work and then going out and getting mom or dad sick especially mom obviously um and then ended up just like it was just too scary and then i went back to work and then yeah, those working at the coffee shop service industry. Also, shout out service industry people <laughs> working during this time. <laughs> Your we, heroes. We schemed to just like sleep in tents outside and wear PPE yeah. and like 
not even be around mom because we were so worried about getting not even touch her yeah yeah she had she had no white blood cell count basically all of 2020 just like no immune system whatsoever so 2020 was dicey um but we we've asked some of our previous guests and some of this has kind of been like hey obviously 2020 was a real clarifying year even if it was terribly clarifying it was you know there's maybe moments of good and bad but if you look back on 2020 in general um was there just like was there some some clarifyingly good because uh, i guess i don't even want to ask you what was the worst part of 2020 because i feel like i know what your answer is going to be because it's the same answer for me so mom dying I'll, yes okay so all right mom dying was the worst part of 2020 yes i, or, I, I mean worst worst part of life worst part of life right like i said in no uncertain terms on the podcast it was the worst year of my life i don't know if you'd say the same or not yes very much so so in that in that clarifying awful i mean in that awfulness is there anything clarifying and redeeming as you look back on 2020 in your own personal journey um with because because now you're in arizona i mean there's something interesting developing just lately with family dynamics and with all that stuff so is there anything redeemable anything life is weird Uh, tell tell us about the arizona part uh yeah so uh i'll the way i'm able to tell the story is chronologically how it happened so it was a saturday morning and uh received new and i was at work i opened the coffee shop that morning with my coworker james great dude uh and uh got the news that mom was going on a hospice and so i went to the back called dad i think i maybe talked to you i can't really remember everything's a little fuzzy we were all on the phone a ton we were all on the phone for like 12 hours a day for like a month it was awful um anyways uh, i ended up leaving work early as one should when one gets the news like that and uh was on the phone all day and ended up calling my boss that night and told him the news and he is super 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 lovely human being um lost a parent when he was 17 years old so he's incredibly understanding of my situation and i told him i was like hey i gotta go home and i might not be coming back um and so i basically quit you know having worked two hours that saturday and i ended up moving out that next tuesday because i had to get some work done my car before i did the 750 mile journey home um but yeah i found out the news and was just kind of uh overwhelmed and uh uh uh, felt that i was in a position to where i could uh transition my life to arizona to be with uh dad and our 14 year old brother aaron um, because losing a parent at 27 years old is incredibly hard. And you were 32, 33, Josiah? 33. uh, Joel was 22. And I mean, that's even too young. I mean, all of us are too young. And then, I mean, 14 years old is just too much for me to even comprehend. So that was my biggest motivator to move out here, really, was to be out here with Aaron, so. So I have a question then. So. You move back home. You have this terrible news about your mom going on hospice. Yeah. And like we talked, you, you mentioned that I'm kind of part of the family. Like, I grew up around you guys. And Byron's my well, other brother too, but he's not blood. He's I'm heart. the oldest Jones son, just <laughs> with a different last name. Um, but uh, 
so like I was hearing all these things too from Josiah and like hearing bits and pieces of stuff. So you moved back and what I heard mainly was that what you were there for was helping. You were there to serve in any way you could. You helped your mom, you helped your dad and especially your brother, um, your 14 year old brother who was obviously struggling through this whole process. So, and I, we, we've talked briefly that you, you know, kind of had a, you were part of the church and were working at a church and we always talk about servant leadership as a part of the church, right? Mm -hmm. Servant, everyone's a servant leader and all that. Um, so obviously you haven't lost the ability to take care of other people and love other people. No. Something that I think is important for someone who leads in the church isn't always present in leaders of the church, but, or maybe isn't nearly enough at all. But so going from someone who was raised in the church, raised in a Christian home, I mean, we all went to the same church. So, I mean, I, I'm familiar with our backgrounds, I guess. And you go into the church and become a servant and try to help and do things for your community, like you said. When did that, um, I guess, change for you of like, hey, I can't do this anymore in the church, but that doesn't mean I'm giving up on people either. You still, obviously, I mean, from our conversations, you still care about people. You still care about doing good things. So when did that transition for you? Because I kind of have it that same a similar thing in my life where i work with special needs kids now that's kind of how i view my calling it's a beautiful there's a job there's a shift you know like mm -hmm. so where did when did that happen for you and what does that look like i guess uh so so like with my transition from like i can't do this at church is is that what yeah, you, okay, yeah so i mean yeah. like we're talking we, we were talking to you because you're a nun or done or whatever yeah, yeah for sure it, but all right you were in church working and now mm -hmm. you left you quit your job and haven't really been back since so yeah obviously you're still a server so like, for what sure does that uh, mean? what's that look I, like for you uh I think a lot of it started with my friendships growing up in like middle school and high school. Um, a lot of my friends are part of the LGBTQ plus community. A lot of my friends are not white. Um, I've got friends who are indigenous to this land that I'm sitting on right now. Um, got friends who are black. I've, you know, and, and I, and I just, I saw how the church was not helping those people. Um, and was maybe even actively uh, being cruel to those people. Um, uh, that's, I think that's where it started for me. Um, I saw my, my, my friends, like my actual friends were just like not comfortable in that space. And I was like, why is that? And I realized it was just because of who they were, you know, that's just, they are who they are. And that is not welcomed sometimes or oftentimes in church, it seems like. So I think that's, it began, it, tr truthfully, it began early age for me, like middle school. Maybe that's, I don't know, the millennial <laughs> side or something. I don't know, but that, I, I think those are the origins is my friends. I just, you know, and that, that bleeds into unhoused folks. You know, I, I remember mom giving us money, like on, uh, dad and I were just talking about today, mom giving us money on vacations to go feed people. She's like, you know, this is a privileged thing we're doing going to Disneyland. So we're going to go help some people out, like learn some lessons. Uh, but yeah, also, and, uh, yeah. Church she's to, feeding she's housing to unhoused folks. Them. She used to take us to Gosh. nursing homes just because <laughs> I forgot about that. Yeah. She, she loved that she could bring, cause she always had, she was adding more and more kids every time. Right. She has, she had four yeah. boys at the end of it, but 
she would always want to bring us and just even though she didn't know any of the people in the nursing home she's like oh they they can be your grandkids for the next 20 minutes which is always trying to trying to you know serve other people as well and definitely pass that mm-hmm. down I think I went on a couple of those trips. Probably. I totally forgot about that. They were always uncomfortable (laughs) as a child, (laughs) but I'm glad we did it. Yeah, she'd go sing for people. She'd just go and sit and listen to their stories. She'd do all sorts of stuff. It's tight. And that's, that's, I mean, mean, that's mostly where I learned it from was mom. So after... Like your friends, it's actually just a part of who you are. It's not because you were a Christian. It's just because that's who you were raised to be. 100%. 100%. So then where did you lose the the church? The church, because at, at some point, I remember conversations with you where you felt at least called to do something missional, maybe church-y, and you, you felt that this was something you wanted to, to, to work into. And so despite some of the, because I, you know, I had the same thing, I would say, in high school, me and Byron both had lots of frustrations with the church we grew up in. And even though we didn't know it at the time, I think we just had frustrations with the church, right? The mm-hmm. American evangelical church. The institution, the building, the sure. leaders. Yeah. But they, there seemed to be something redeem, redeeming about it because you, despite some of those hangups and, you know, I had the same interesting high school, you know, some, some of my closest friends were, uh, my closest friend was Muslim and my other closest friend was Mormon. And so, it was, it, you know, we didn't have the normal Chino Valley upbringing, maybe uh, no. we weren't surrounded by people that were just like us, who looked like us, who thought like us. But at some point, despite that, you still continued on in, in ministry. And uh, yeah, I think it was what I knew. It was just what I'd, grew up with you know from literally from birth <laughs> so it's all i all i knew uh so I, I was like okay these are the tools i've been given so this is i'm gonna try to help people through these through these tools that i've learned and grew up in but then i learned that once you get into leadership and you start working with positions of power it gets a little muddy a little muddy i mean you want to you want to talk about that more what, what do you mean uh how churches use their finances where churches get their finances why aren't churches taxed <laughs> like what the heck it's like come on guys it's just crazy i don't know uh but yeah no there's a lot of stuff it's just like okay so you're a pastor and you make a certain amount of money but there's like you're able to support your family and you're able to save money for yourself, but you have people in your congregation who have got kids and they're working multiple jobs and they're struggling and you're preaching this stuff on Sunday morning. And it's like, where's the practice of the preaching is where I started finding my, my struggle. I was like, okay, I, I am, I am, I'm volunteering my time 15, 20 hours, hours a week to this. I'm giving you my whatever I'm giving to this um, and I'm working two jobs to support myself through this. Um, and it's really hard and I'm not seeing any of my hard work go to anything of use to this community that we're trying to reach, which I still don't know the communities we're trying to reach really. So was your, was your uh, primary investment in, in the Sunday morning spectacle? Uh, uh, I was involved in everything and, in the several church 
organizations I worked for. I mostly, the biggest, I'd say the biggest thing I was involved in was leading the music aspect of the church experience on Sunday mornings. Um, but I was also part of all of, you know, leadership meetings and financial meetings. And uh, uh, I was in small groups. I may even led a small group here or there. Um, gosh, I even like help lead youth group sometimes. It's just like when you're working for the church, you're doing everything. You're cleaning, you're a janitor. Uh, I'm, I was also, I was also doing the music, but sometimes I was also the sound guy while I was doing the music, which doesn't make sense. So it's just like, you know, you do everything. Freaking, uh, jack of all trades or, uh, what's it, what's the word? I can't think of it. That's it. Jack of all trades, right? Or is there another term? Uh, I'm, yeah, master, uh, jack of all trades, master of none. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So I have a question because I actually don't know the answer to this. Um, when you yes. go into ministry in our denomination, um, you get a license for your, from your local church, and then eventually you get a district license. And then if you stick with it, like some of us did on the podcast, so Josiah only, yeah, uh, ordained. you get ordained. Yeah. Um, yes. So where were you in that process? Like, were you a licensed minister? Did you like no. start going that process? Uh, I started uh, a process for something. It was like the beginnings of something i do not remember what it was this is gosh it's like nine years ago so uh uh what was it um some like local something local minister's license for the nazarene church yeah so i started taking an online class and i was like this is not for me (laughs) that in in terms of like taking the classes i was like i'm not thriving in this it does not give me life The disconnect that you feel, but just just for the sake of transparency, honesty, I have a big mouth. So I, I mean, at this point, I don't know if I can get myself in any more trouble. Um, you said get something about trouble. <laughs> you said something about a disconnect between what is preached and what is lived out. Oh yes, right. Like that's probably the if that was if there was a simple way to just articulate some of the reasons why you're a nun done, whatever one, it, you know, it doesn't really matter why you no longer go to a building on Sunday morning for two hours. Cause yes. that's really like, I mean, that's it. That, w- that would be the simple explanation. I mean, that's a, a, a huge, that's a huge part of it. Yeah. It's like, okay, are you actually loving your neighbor? Like, and how are you actually loving your neighbor? Are you actually feeding unhoused folks? Do you know their names? Do you, do you, uh, do you have friends who are in the LGBTQ community that you support and love? And, and do you have friend? I don't know. It's just like stuff like that. It's like, sounds so simple, but it doesn't happen. How old were you when that really like reached its fever pitch? How old were you when the metaphorical kettle started boiling and you're blown off steam? Like I'm done. Uh, I mean, it's all, it feels like it's always been there, but I get, kept giving it a chance. So I, I'd say really, it started in high school, um, uh, but I, you know, I just kept I kept giving it a chance. I guess is what you would you could say. I, I kept uh, hoping that it could do something <laughs> better for but then, the world. But, but then you gave up, <laughs> gave up on that hope that that institution could do something. Gave up hard. <laughs> what, uh, so, out of curiosity, since I'm the odd man out, which is not always the case on this podcast. Byron, is there a similar, like, simple, this is why I gave up on the 
institution that is whatever the the church in America is there is there like a a simplistic uh similar to Andy's they they stopped they never did maybe practice what they preached sort of a um sentiment hypocrisy is definitely a thing in the church it's pretty widespread and rampant in this in the American church anyway um I have more issues um because I decided in college I was super cynical coming from from where we grew up in northern Arizona I was pretty cynical with my faith anyway and talking to people and trying to kind of turn that around I felt called to ministry and I said okay well then I guess I'm gonna have to be part of the positive and change it Mm -hmm. um I didn't um (laughs) not for lack of trying uh but when you have all those things like the the financial junk you hear about the how certain people lead churches and that could be on any level I mean I know lots of people who've done unethical things in the church from local pastors to higher ups in their denominations, not necessarily Nazarene church, but I mean, like most of these churches have a, some kind of a hierarchy and like some things have happened. I've seen people that I respect, you find stories out about them and they lose their ordination or like just like crazy stuff. Um, and I've learned that when you have power, you tend to use it for your own gains. I think it's a human flaw. I'm not necessarily blaming any one person. I think it's easy for us to fall into that, but I think it's pretty rampant in the church in either very minor things to I'm on the board and I don't want to play new kinds of music to those drums are too loud. Yeah. (laughs) Or I'm going to end up stealing money or I'm going to have an affair or whatever. Like they can get obviously much bigger and become a bigger deal, but like they can be minor things. And I think that kind of showed me the real issues with the church where I really got involved in leadership Uh and how frustrating it was. Um, And also it got to a point wherever I was, the three places I was a minister at Sunday became a job. I took no joy or pleasure in Sunday mornings. I didn't feel like I could worship. Yep. (laughs) Um, It just weighed me down. Like it was, I did not, I didn't enjoy it. It was a wake up every morning go, Oh crap. I got to go to church today. I got to go be the sound guy when I don't know how to do that well. Yep. I got to go lead liturgy <laughs> or preach or do it like things that I was never really taught super well how to do. Um, Not a lot of support. Yeah. Like my preaching I had, I mean, I took a class in college and I, you know, I've practiced throughout the years and I've gotten better at it, but like, I don't know how to be the sound guy, but our sound guy at one of my churches got sick and he couldn't come back and he ended up quitting and I just got stuck in the booth. And then my pastor said, how come you don't help me with liturgy anymore? Because we don't have a sound guy. And I, I was told I have to do that. I did. But now I have to do both and I can't do that. Like, I just stupidity was part of it. Like, honestly, I just struggled. Lots, like that. lots of taking advantage of your time and your resources. And well, especially when you worked at those places for almost nothing or literally nothing. And you had to work other places. I, I worked at Target for a long time for yep. a year. Well, I worked at a church for seven of those months, maybe, and they didn't pay me for several months at all. I, and they gave me like a very small amount of money. It's like, it's hard for me to, to do all you want me to do when you don't pay me and I can't. Yep. So I don't know. There's a lot of things. There's more than that. But I definitely understand the once you get into the leadership of church, it gets it gets you said muddy. I'll say ugly real quick. Yeah, that's too. Very it, ugly. It makes you think 
nasty poorly about people that you respect yep is the other thing you go oh i like this guy then you find out things about the board at the board meeting you're like oh actually i don't like this where are your morals (laughs) yeah so just quick question and and every church is different too they all have their own little issues that so that that pile up they're not all the same at all so were were there either of you paid livable wages when you worked at churches (laughs) no i was paid for i worked uh, uh i mean i've worked at several churches and most of the time they would either one of the times it was offset with free housing so that was that was really cool free housing um, plus a little bit of pay. Would I say livable wage? No. Um, and then the job after that uh, was there for many years. And I was paid for a few months, um, a few hundred dollars. Uh, and I would oftentimes go from working seven to two at the church to going straight to the coffee shop, working till 11 p.m. that night. <laughs> Every Sunday. So I was a little tired. I can imagine. Very poor. And you didn't have the burden of of Byron or or eyes like we we went to get indebted to another institution to go down that path. Nope. Which I am now thankful for. (laughs) I was going to say, hashtag no regrets, right? I left college with like... A lot of debt. Over $60,000 in debt. It might be more than that. I can't remember. Like, yo, Biden... Let's cancel some student debt, yo. Seriously, Come on, dude. Yeah. I'll take on that stimulus package. Maybe I graduated. Maybe listen to this. I graduated with just shy of a hundred grand in debt. Yeah. Well, then mine must have been more than that, but maybe it's closer to eighty something. But I was also an RA for at least one year, so that that did that was like fourteen grand right there. That helped. Yeah. But um, but yeah, like uh, my first church paid me like fourteen something dollars every two weeks, <laughs> uh, or every week. I mean. Wow. I don't know why they even paid me. That's just insulting at that point, really. I mean, there was... Right? The reason it happened, they were trying to be nice, but I don't see the point. And I I should just... I was fine with no salary because I had two other jobs and whatever. But... um, 14... What a weirdly specific number. Yeah, no, it was was $14 and some change, actually. Was it every two (laughs) weeks? Was it like a dollar a day? No, that was... Like a dollar an hour. I got 14 something a week, I think, oh, if so, I recall correctly. You got $2 a day? Man, is that, I know. Is that legal? So like, was that under the table? No, that was my official pay. But churches can pay you nothing. It's, it's, if they salary you, they don't have to worry about minimum wage. That yeah. is literally so, should be a crime. And then I worked two other jobs to survive. I also had free housing, though, through someone in the church. It wasn't a church thing. He let me live there for free because he was an awesome dude. And oh, that dude. Yeah, like he just he instead of calling out the bad people, let's start calling out the good people that helped us through these awful. Well, jobs. I was, His name I was, was Uncle Henry, say. and unfortunately he's passed, but he was an amazing human being. Well, he's in our hearts. And I, I literally moved in with him when I was 22, when he was 86, and it was awesome. Oh, I remember that. I mean, yeah, 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 super yeah. weird. Like he was yeah. a great guy, and we got along great. But like it was a weird like. I love oh, I those... have a new roommate, and he's 86. Yeah, I love those weird generational gaps. But he was like also that. Japanese, so. Um, I learned culturally was different and it was, it was just fun. He was a great guy. I love him. Henry. Great human being. RIP. Um, yeah. And then uh, my next church didn't pay me anything for several months, especially when I first started, <laughs> it was like all through the summer. So like the time you do the most amount of work for youth ministry, I got Awful nothing. Trend, this and then eventually I got like $500 a month later on. And that, so they gave me money. Is that a livable wage? 
Oh, no. Uh, okay. I was also working at Target full time for a while, and then I got a, an actual real full time job, which paid me pretty well. So I was fine at that point. And then my last church, I was full time. Um, I used air quotes. Um, I had the cheapest rent I've ever had in my life. Um, I was paying able to pay that, my utilities, my student loans, and I could go shopping for some food. But I spent literally all of my savings to yeah. be in that community. And I got fired and left with nothing. Nice. Um, and yeah, no, it was a giant waste of my time. But I mean, they paid me way better than any other church has, but it still was not a great wage. Words um, of our little brother, Aaron. Very cool. <laughs> <laughs> very cool. So yeah, no, I, I wouldn't say the church has ever paid me a living wage, but you know. Decide, did you ever get paid a living wage? Am I allowed to ask that? Oh, you can ask whatever you want, dude. Um, can I answer that for you? He's yeah, resigned you can now, so he can me. say whatever he wants. No. <laughs> yeah. Long story short, no. Um, well, church. Yeah, my wife is a nurse. That's the reason we can survive financially. Go, Caitlin. Uh, I support hey, Josiah, female, period. Was your best pay at your first church? Yeah. I figured. Yeah, based, on, based on cost of living and like inflation, I got almost that same salary package, I guess, but like took me 10 more years. So, um, so technically I don't know what 10 years of cost of living increases looks like, but I would say I got paid the most I ever got paid, um, 10 years ago. Um, but still Caitlin still had to work. We didn't even have kids. Like even what yeah. I got paid barely would have covered student debt and rent. And then we'd have to figure out if we're buying food or not. So nice. <laughs> I it's mean, fun to have a conversation like, okay, so we're going grocery shopping and do we, we need this food for this thing we planned or are we going to get gas so we can get to work this and week? And we're also out of toilet paper. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, not to not to just do a uh, the church is awful and never will be good focus because I know that... kind of fun though. <laughs> as cathartic as it might be <laughs> um, and as tempted as I am to continue it, I'm curious... Andy, nice. I mean, and Byron, you feel free to chime in. I've I've tried to like catch you unawares, but you, as you said in the last podcast, we're we're uh, we're not caught unawares. Um, what is it like to watch other churches cope with COVID? Because um, I know it's probably easy. It's easy for me to do, and I'm still in the thick of it. But what is it like to watch? And uh, I don't know. What would you say to folks like me who are still trying to actually hear? your thoughts andy and byron's obviously on how churches aren't getting it right or what they could do better like what have you even been paying attention might be a better better question have you even been paying attention to churches wrestling with covid stuff uh yeah uh because i advised mom and dad severely to not go to church during covid which thank god they went a few times wore masks were socially distant safe and people were respectful of mom because if they got her sick she would have died so just like yeah uh but yeah uh i'd say i've paid attention actually quite a bit because it's just like wow you guys are dumb man it's, <laughs> it's like you're you're oh you're meeting you're meeting outside but there's 200 people standing like an inch apart from each other no masks and you know i've watched several million videos on this and it's just like why fear death when god's gonna cure us of this stuff and it's like oh okay uh 
Didn't God uh, just like maybe give us a brain and common sense though? I don't know. Well, but guys, yeah. it wasn't real though. Oh, yeah. oh recall, I forgot. It was a hoax. It was going to be yeah. done after the election, guys. Remember? It was it's like, didn't done. Obama do it? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Thanks, it's Obama. Totally his fault. Because, thanks, yeah. thanks, Obama. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, all that to say, I've been following it more than I probably ever have in my life because it's just like it's a freaking train on fire falling off a cliff. Yeah. Uh, it's just, uh, uh, to say I'm severely disappointed is an understatement uh, in how churches are handling this. I, uh, an example you even told me, Josiah, is watching churches spend tens of thousands of dollars remodeling their churches during this time while people are quite literally starving and dying on the streets mm-hmm. when they could be using that money to maybe house those people. That'd be cool. Uh, or not. Maybe not. Maybe we don't care about those people. And it seems like they don't. Uh, all that to say, uh, I'm disappointed that churches are meeting in person without masks. And I've known several people who have died. And one person who I very much loved named Gilda, uh, who is an older woman. And maybe she wasn't following uh, COVID guidelines, which is a bummer. But, uh, you know, that church is still meeting in person without masks. Very cool. <laughs> So, so that's that's my take. You have been paying attention and you're disappointed. Yes. Is there any is there any like, oh, that gives me some hope that it's not all terrible? Or is there any like is there even any hope in your mind to say if I even spoke up, people like my brother maybe would care enough to to listen? Is there anything about church right now that gives you any semblance of hope that despite your desire to serve outside of it? Maybe there's something redeeming about the church in this country, just broad <laughs> strokes. In this country? I guess. Yeah, dude. Sure. We live here. So, uh, I mean, truthfully, uh, most it's mostly negative. Uh, there are maybe two examples, uh, and one of them happens to be you, Josiah, who is a pastor who is, who, who used funds, the, the little funds you had from your church to feed children tacos. And it's like, that's the church. That's actually the church. That's what the church should be. The church is not singing and putting your hands up Sunday morning, singing cool songs and complaining about how loud the drums are. Uh, church is like feeding people who need to be fed. That's like quite literally what the church should be. And that's not happening. Um, and uh, I'd, I'd say my friend Keegan, Keegan Osinski, you know, I don't know if I'm allowed to say people's names on this podcast without them, their approval. Uh, sorry she's, keegan she's your friend so i guess you uh, can find out uh all that to say uh <laughs> those are some examples of people who are i think doing good uh keegan's stirring up you know what is controversial in the church uh uh and and challenging i i i don't want to get into it because i it maybe it's kind of private i don't know <laughs> Maybe Keegan's very, Keegan's very vocal on Twitter, so I feel like she'd be fine with this. <laughs> if she if she ever happens to hear our podcast, we're not that popular, so we'll yeah. see. Um, if she ever happens to hear it, I mean, we'll talk to her about it. That'd be dope. Shout out Keegan Osinski, you're tight. Keep so, causing trouble in the Nazarene Church, please. <laughs> well, so it seems ironic that the two examples that you listed are the ones that literally are causing trouble, like getting, getting pushback from institutional norms. Yep. Uh, I don't, I don't know what to do with that. Do Byron, what, what do I do with that? Cause like, 
to be to be transparent i'm kind of in a weird transitional like should i stay or should i go moment myself right like i don't know if this podcast will air before my official end date um i actually don't think it will doing math real quick but i i have officially resigned from the church where i was trying to do the taco feed thing with right and there's a lot of reasons why i would say primarily it has to do with just the struggle churches have with civil religion and it's no longer really an authentic uh not for everybody. It's it's not this authentic focus on what the gospel actually says. It's it's maybe closer to like a country club gathering Sunday morning spectacle as the number one most important thing that we do. And I spent a year trying to kind of challenge that. And I probably ran off most of the people at that church. Um, and so I realized, hey, maybe it's me. It's not you. It's not you. It's me. I'll just I'll try to bow out from there a little bit. Um, but as in the, the funny thing to me is like even saying that could be perceivably controversial which is just i, I don't cool. even i don't even know what to do with that but uh i don't know because because right now i guess i could i can say there's prospects on the horizon to maybe continue to be engaged in church circles so this is not something I asked you to prepare for either one of you, but like you both have made choices, right. To just sort of like disengage officially from that institution. And I know you've, we've all had one-on-ones about this sort of a thing. I mean, officially in that you've I mean, I you got fired have... my last church. So, I mean, I didn't really choose that, um, but, it, but you haven't tried to get back in it necessarily. God chose it. Yeah. Cause I don't want to. So, so I get, let me ask this question very specifically, because y'all know more than we're going to put on the podcast, given, given no prospects that you may be knowledgeable about, like what hope, what hope is there? Cause like trying to separate, I know we've had personal conversations outside of this podcast about my personal future, but I guess I'm curious, is there anything that you can cling to and say, yeah, Josiah, keep doing like, is there anything that you could kind of like i don't know polish as far as the turd that is 2020 church in your opinion like is there any sort of polishing of that to say yeah man i don't know i think there is still good that could come from that here's why i mean can you I have a suggestion that? sure uh can you make a mobile church in a taco truck because <laughs> that was a pretty cool story i really enjoyed when you did that, that taco truck i mean let's let's do that hey i managed food trucks for four years i've got the knowledge and the capabilities to help if it's it's feeding people i'm in man so even so i guess that's curious to me it sounds like you both are gravitating towards the same thing if a church is asking its community to come and help feed kids you're in absolutely 100 percent. i mean i'm in in terms of supporting feed kids. yes yes am if, i gonna go to that church i don't know <laughs> well but that that therein lies the the conundrum i have you what are is church part at of, that point you are part of the church at that point sure you're technically participating in being the mm. church and you're not being so hung up on going to a church am i the church I to- right now because i help feed homeless people I mean, I don't know. There's we could really split hairs with that because there's some particulars in the Bible. What would you, Byron's about to bring I'm, one up. I feel I'm going to disagree with you, Josiah, only because of my personal experience with people who were very turned off by the church 
but we're very interested in serving people. As a associate, youth pastor, whatever my titles were, a lot of times I'd try to talk to people in different parts of our community. Um, in Kansas City, I was working, I was starting to begin working with a, a hospice and trying to figure out, Dang. it was like in their hospital. And I, I went there a couple times for some stuff and um, to visit some people. And I asked them, hey, like, you have people you're serving here, like you're taking care of their physical needs and they're trying to make them comfortable and all that. Um, but their families can come in. This is obviously pre-COVID. Um, so your family, these families can come in and be a part of that. Like, what do you need to work with those families? Like you have parents of young children who were literally in hospice. So their young children are sitting on their bed with them and like they need puzzles, they need books, they need snacks. Um, and so I started working with people in our church to, to provide for those people. The people who worked in the hospice that wanted to work with me right away, one of them was a Christian and was very involved in her church. The other one basically hated the church because they didn't help people in need. Uh -huh. And they both said, I don't care that you're with the church. If you're going to help these people, we're going to make it work. So I partnered with them because I couldn't just show up with stuff. It had to be intentional. And so we worked together. We figured out. Something. And unfortunately, I think as soon as I left that church, that kind of fell to the way. So we were just beginning to build a good partnership. And I don't think it continued. And then other places that like help homeless people and people with special needs in the, in the community I worked in my last church, we were just starting to figure out ways to partner together and my, like, the church is not very good at doing a lot of things that they have no experience in it. Nope. If we don't know how to feed people or clothe people or like, but there are organizations that aren't a church that do those things. So I have people who want to help. They have a need for people to do the work. So I say, hey, I'm part of this church. You're this thing. Let's work together. Why can't, I mean, it doesn't have to be, this is a ministry of our church. It's a, this guy I met who hates Christians because he doesn't like them and, and is totally against God, needed help building a ramp for uh, somebody who's in a wheelchair now in our community. So we provided wood and labor and helped him do it. It's being a community member. That's, I mean, it's, yeah. Being a part of the church should be an impact on your local community. It shouldn't be, we're driving half an hour to 45 minutes away, parking in a big parking lot meeting in a big meet building, talking to 10 different people only, and then going home, and that's church. Mm -hmm. That is a bastardization of what Christ wanted in the church. That is not the kingdom. That is church. Americanized church, which has very little value in my opinion. We need to be the body. The kingdom doesn't come without part of the church being a part of it. Jesus has come and is continuing to come. The kingdom's coming with him, but we have the opportunity and the calling to be a part of it. And we're failing miserably. We are broken because we're human and we need to repent and we need to start loving people without reservation, without, oh, well, if you're a part of this community, if you're LGBTQ or you're homeless or what, we don't want to be around you. No, it doesn't matter where those people are coming from. We are called to love them and we suck at it. Yep. Not all of us, obviously. I mean, there are churches doing good things. Don't get me wrong. But Americanized church has been a massive failure, in my opinion. The loud so. majority. <laughs> oh, yeah, the, the loud majority, exactly. <laughs> so, okay, I'll recant after that explanation. My no, but I'm serious. Start a taco truck church. I'm there. Let's do <laughs> so, it. Let's just clarify it this way. I, it, it, 
if you want to be participants in use kingdom building, I think, or just kingdom language, you can participate in kingdom building. And in that way, you are participating in the work of the church, right? Like that is, that is being participants in something that the church is supposed to be doing. We could get into a whole discussion about semantics about when is it church? When are you part of the church? When do you carry church with you wherever you go? But church is people. That should just be human nature doing those things for people. It should be, but it's especially poignant that the church do that if they want to have any sort of claim. Yeah, claim credibility that they're preaching and then yes. exemplifying. Especially um, if they're getting money from people who maybe are suffering in tithing. I mean, so Josiah, we've talked about it before on this podcast. I am not opposed to working in a church in the future. It would be a very particular situation. Um, I probably wouldn't care about ordination in any way whatsoever. Um, it's a conversation I actually had with Ryan and Trevor when I recorded with them last week a little bit. We talked about ordination processes and stuff. There's no value in that to me personally. Um, but I could see myself like I want to be a special ed teacher. I want to go back to school and get my certificate to be a teacher. I want to help special ed kids. When I manage a group home for special ed kids in foster care, I viewed it as me being the church. It was not, a, I mean, I was paid for it, an actual decent wage, surprisingly. Um, and I it had not, that was not tied to a church in any way whatsoever. I did not take those kids to church. I did not require them to be a part of a church. I just tried to love them. And I thought in my, like, in my calling, that's me doing what Christ called me to do, which is love people who need love. Um, and I mean, I understand that that wasn't in a building on Sundays or even like, I didn't, you know, I didn't proselytize my, my uh, workers. I didn't tell the kids about Jesus. I just tried to love them. Well, one, I couldn't really tell them about Jesus because it's a state company and, you know, that, that would have been a problem. I would have of little but faith, Byron. Oh my goodness. Here's my thing. I thought if I loved them <laughs> and showed them my love physically, they might understand who Christ is through my actions instead of my words. Sure. Weird concept. I know. Right. Um, I mean, and, I, should and like, him, I, I should have hit him with a Bible over the head, I guess, but I just didn't do that because that's abuse. And he, uh, might, he might be in jail and we wouldn't be doing this podcast right now. I would very much be in jail, Andy. Very much. Which is a good thing if you're doing that to children. Oh, my yeah. goodness. I mean, well, if I did that, yes, I deserve to be in prison. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I mean, but then I, I transitioned to a school. Again, another, you know, this is a completely, my, I get paid by taxpayer money. Um, so obviously I'm not like, telling kids about Jesus every day, but I try to love them. Um, I try to teach them that, you know, their circumstances are not always great, um, but people care about them. And I think that's just as important as teaching them how to read and write and how to do math, which is also important as a part of my job. But I want them to know that I care about them. And even if they make poor decisions, I'm not going to hate them or treat them differently. There's still people that I love. And I don't think I have to tell them every day, I only I'm only nice to you because Jesus, because that's a, a weird thing to do and say. That's what it ends up being though sometimes. Well, if that's the motivation, right? Is if the end goal is is butts and pews on Sunday mornings, then it's it's disingenuous, right? Or not not going to hell. Yeah, or that if it's not if it's like an eternal security blanket, right, or whatever the case may be, it it should be a natural outpouring of actually wanting to care about other people, which is what what it's supposed to be but i find it intriguing i think uh 
I think it's really interesting because despite similar paths, I think all three of us have gone down. Um, we've all kind of arrived to some of the same conclusions about our hangups and our frustrations, but also the things we're most interested in engaging with in the future. So what do you think it says? Like if we could go in a time capsule back to middle school, Josiah and Byron and elementary school, Andrew, and like warn those people leading the church at that time, like what would happen, right? Like if we could go back, I don't know warn the leadership in the church I, or it, like could can you imagine what or warn, warn myself <laughs> either way because i i guess what i'm saying is i have to assume that some of those including our own father who uh who were our formative teachers of whatever biblical lessons we were taught on any given sunday morning if they knew where we would end up do you think <laughs> if if they were able to be given some sort of like forewarning 20 30 years down the road like would that concern them would that yes. surprise them? Would that would that dis- disappoint them? Yes. <laughs> so all of that? Yeah. I mean, I've been having these. Shout out. What's up, Dad? You're probably going to listen to this eventually. <laughs> we, we, I think we literally talked about this today. So Shout out. Cool. What's up, Dad? What up, Brian? Yeah, that's our dad's name. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think uh, if we were to go back 20 plus years ago, a little farther for you guys, because uh, you're old. Um huh true story uh i think people would probably be shocked and saddened though it's just like it was the same back then so it's like are you really shocked are you really that like (laughs) if anything it was probably maybe even worse back then maybe not i don't know i don't know what it would have been like to do with covid then it would be crazy yeah yeah (laughs) yeah (laughs) i'm just thankful i'm not i mean I'm sorry, Aaron, that you're a 14 year old living through a pandemic. Like, I mean, I can't imagine being that age going through the, all this stuff. Online, what do you th- online school, all that fun stuff. What do you think it says then that we might be very similarly, I, I'll use the word convicted for lack of anything else I can come up with right now, to what we should be doing either as humans or as the church? What do you think that says um, about the state of. <laughs> I don't know the country or the church that we all have that same agreement, even though we've all it's the same thing. And at this point, it feels like <laughs> it, we've gone so many different ways to get there. Church country, church country, <laughs> civil religion, dude, that's it. The civil religion that I think I've struggled with and struggled against most is that I was born here. So that means I'm Christian, right? And Christian and American are the same thing. So whatever I do is basically Christian. God guns, Bible and Trump. I mean, basically, that is basically what civil religion I mean, is in the most I mean, simple where Andy and I live right now, that's exactly what it is. I, I just, the other day, just two, two big, you know, rural blocks away from me are two Confederate flags flying in a, a little neighborhood, which is just like, what? Like, yeah. first of all, you're an idiot if you're <laughs> flying a Confederate flag. Let's just be real. We literally fought a war over it because... People who flew Confederate flags were racist that wanted to keep slavery going. It's just like, come on. They're basically a foreign invading army. Yeah. All that well, to say. treason also yes. against America. Yeah. So. Don't normally but, celebrate but the losers. The, the, other, the other half of these Confederate flags in my lovely hometown are also, they're also Trump flags, which is really cool. It's just like, wow, <laughs> that's really tight. <laughs> seething with sarcasm um not not the least of i mean 
Well, I have that here. I live in Western Washington, so we're not. I don't think we have the Confederate flag as much, but uh, didn't have that in San Francisco. <laughs> yeah, definitely had it occasionally, but I just I don't know what to do with that, honestly, gentlemen. I think it's curious that as a whole, our generation seems to have um, some similar struggles with the institution that is church and there's there's one of two options that we can go forward with because what it seems to what seems to be the norm right now is the generations that have gone before us expect us to kind of fit into molds that are preformed for us Mm -hmm. to fit into as far as participation with or leading in these these church institutions so it's either we just do that and i i mean i i can't i'll just be honest i don't think either you guys were able to do that either or completely and totally disengage if there's not going to be some sort of mutual charitable discourse that that takes place and saying, hey, maybe we, we got to give some give and take here. What, what are we going to do to maybe address some of those elephants in the room that truly as a pastor, I have been coached over and over again by a myriad of, of elders and mentor types of folks to never even touch on, to, to not even talk on, to not even engage with. But these are the things that every young person out the church, outside of the church is having casual conversations with around coffee tables, around dinner tables, around the bar, whatever the case may be. These are, these are important conversations that need to be had and issues that need to be dealt with. And we're just sort of like, eh, seems a little icky. I don't know. What to I mean, do with that. I think for me, this has been my opinion in a while for a while, but our generation and the generation after us have very much disengaged from church um for a lot of the same reasons uh covid has accelerated in my opinion (laughs) the the coming death of the traditional american church because of finances um we've talked before about how there won't be full-time pastors very soon it will be part-time ministry only um church is going to change and not just a little bit it's going to be drastic is that going to um, affect the Joel Olsteins, you think, of the world? Unfortunately, no. Um, they'll still be taking money from people who have none to do whatever they do. Which Private is not jets good and mansions. Things. Too big to I fail. Mean, he, I mean, he only buys those things with his book sale. I don't know if you know that, Andy, but he talks about it a lot. Okay. Wow. So okay. he sells really bad books that are self-help, not Jesus books at all, but act like they are. And he makes millions. And it's not okay. But that's a different topic. Um because mega churches are its own thing, and that's it is a that's something else for me right now. But money laundering, <laughs> the church is going to change drastically, and not just in the how we do Sundays or who shows up, but we need to get creative to show people. And I, I'm not going to say, oh, we need to reach people because a lot of times people churches talk about, oh, I want to reach that person because I want their butt in my seat on Sunday for money. I don't care about that well money is a big part of it yeah um i don't care about that i'm not a pastor anymore um i want people to learn who christ is through my life because i feel like i've been given something special and i want to share that um and that's not going to be a traditional sunday morning thing i don't think for most of our generation and the generation coming up after us taco trucks feeding kids so we need to get creative in how we reach people for the actual gospel and not butts and seats. How do we feed people's physical bodies? How do we clothe and shelter their physical bodies? And then once we get to know them and understand that's not just a guy I saw on the street, that guy's name is Fred. 
This is my, where he my, came from. My friend. He has, yeah, he's he's not just a person. He's a friend of mine. I understand where he comes from. I know his story. I know what he's passionate about. And I know why things are important to him. And I want to help him be the best person he can be to show people that Christ loves him and they can love and he will love them too. So that's discipleship. We don't, we talk about discipleship and it's like, what, what is that? Oh, it's Sunday school or it's small groups. <laughs> no, it's actively loving people and doing the right thing and showing them, Hey, I love you. And I'm doing this because I love you, but also Christ has showed me he loves me. And that's important for me to show you. You don't have to become a believer right away or whatever. I want to be your friend. It's not, a bait and switch. This is genuine. I care about you. I care about your physical being and your spiritual being. You are important to me. And the church has to figure out how to do that for people and stop pretending that we've reached everybody and we're doing a great job because we're not. Hmm. I'm, all, I'm done ranting. <laughs> it was officially a Rona rant, Byron. We got it. We, it's going to yeah. stay in there. Well, that's, I mean, that's been, I've been doing that for years, way before Rona. I'm a ranter. Hey, our church has got our home church has got a sweet sound system and stuff, so that's pretty cool, and really nice lighting. <laughs> that's every church in the country. Um, that's that's above a certain number. I mean, man, I, part of me doesn't know how to end this, but but I, I think there's something <laughs> that that's probably important to mention because I could continue. I'm just I'm in a weird spot. I'm frustrated. I'm disillusioned a little bit. But the flip side is this. I mean, we've tried as best as we can to not only be cynical, but at the same time, at some point, you have to call things what they are, call a spade a spade. So for me, though, I think it's important to note that there might be a number of young pastors or young people that that haven't quite exited uh, stage left or, or whatever you want to call that, haven't left the church completely. And maybe it's good because they are part of some sort of redeeming work that's happening in in those uh, bodies in those places and because this is my own little personal thing you know I think I, I've, I've said this to other people I'll say it on this podcast at times I've gotten in in hot water with posts and things on social media where people that are pastors supposed to say that that could be very frustrating to church people I'm like at this point maybe I'm more concerned with appealing to those people that have left the church than those that you know are sitting in the church pews and don't want anything to change and, and they, the people that have left, left because they're frustrated that pastors no longer engage with any real, you know, relevance with what's going on in the world around them. So maybe there's, maybe there's a couple of folks out there like that, that listen to our podcast. Some of our analytics would tell us that, that we do hit our millennial stereotype age group pretty well. So I don't know if there's any passing parting words that either of you at this point would have to say that maybe is an encouragement to say, yeah, maybe... Maybe it's not easy, but like there's enough of us out here that if we saw something good going on in our town, even though you don't see us on Sunday mornings, we'd show up on Monday to help, you know, feed kids or whatever. I don't know if there's any passing slightly positive, slightly optimistic, hopeful thing that that specifically our listeners could take away from this. But at the very least, (laughs) I want to say the reason that we have people like Andy, not just because he's my brother. But the reason we have people like Andy and the reason Byron is on this podcast is because we need to care about these perspectives if we want to say we have any sort of bearing on understanding the world around us, the cultures we live in, the the issues we're facing. So, well, I want Andy to be able to answer the question, but I, before, like, I mean, I went on my little rant, but like, I'll just be honest, I'm one of those people. 
I'm if a if I see a church doing good things in the community that I happen to be a part of, like my wife and I are getting ready to move this summer for school for her, and I got to look at like what that means for me as far as church and stuff. If I'm going to find a church to attend or not, I don't know. I don't know the area yet. Um, but if they're doing like, in person Sunday morning, that's not going to get you to go. No, that's I don't necessarily care about that as much, um, especially during until like people are vaccinated and we're safe. And that yeah, I'm still like I haven't been going to church because of covid and i think that's the right decision but um but yeah after vaccinations and stuff like i'll i might go to church on sunday mornings again if i see a church actively being a part of their community and loving people and feeding people and doing ministry outside of their building if if their ministries outside of their building are more important than their sunday morning well that's probably a church i'd be okay with being a part of yeah and serving in so what was the question is there any parting redeeming words for, for maybe young folks, particularly maybe young pastors who are also feeling disillusioned? Um, like, is there anything you could say to say, you know what, if I saw you doing this on your Facebook, I actually might pay attention. I, I don't know. Is there anything, because I, I have to speculate, and maybe this is wildly speculative. There's probably other people out there like me who are a little frustrated with trying to, to appease the traditional church model preferred folks that they have been tasked with being faithful leaders of and it's and it maybe is just not working so if there's some sort of hope for a pivot like do you have any any little passing like yeah like it's simple this and i would be in you've already said a couple things like taco truck i'm in but like is there any more just like simple if you are this that or the other you have my attention even though i'm this quote-unquote heathen well, it's like, okay, is your church, like, is your church quite literally clothing unhoused folks? Okay. Is your church doing that? Then that's cool. Is your church uh, supporting LGBTQ youth who are kicked out of their homes because their families quite literally don't love them anymore? Like, what are, and how are you supporting those people? Like, are you housing them? Are you, are you feeding them? Uh, if, if a church is, is doing those things, um, I, I would uh, think that's incredible. Would I go? Uh, that's tough. That's really tough. I don't know. Uh, let's even separate the Sunday morning from it. Would you participate in some sort oh, of yeah. ministry? Yeah, of course. Yeah. hundred percent. If it's like community outreach, if it's helping people, if it's just like, are we simply helping people, loving people through acts of like care like just like human just like human things like even if the pastor talked about jesus for like five minutes you would still be a part of it talked about jesus to the people they were helping i don't know whatever that it's just there's always because like oh man that's push, tough actually <laughs> i don't know i don't know the pushback that i've gotten is that i wasn't overt enough like i didn't hand out gospel tracts or something like that so it's just kind of a silly yeah it's a big deal thing in church circles as to the level of Jesus-y you were sharing. Yeah, so. I think uh, I think acts of kindness and goodness and love uh, speak more than anything. Sure. Is, I guess I guess what I'll say. <laughs> I, I, I have assumed, and maybe this is weird to hear, but like I've thought about if Andy was here, what would he think about this? And, and there was a moment with the taco truck where that came up and these kids were like, what is the deal? And they're high school boys. They drove themselves. Like, what's up, dude? Tacos are dope. I'm like, what's the catch, man? Like, there's literally no catch. No like, catch. And that's how it should be. There should be no catch. Like, yeah, but it's, like, in, there's, it's in front of a church. It's in front of a church. I'm like, okay, yeah, it's in front of a church. I'm a pastor. 
we just are trying to do good stuff. Like we, we say we love. And so yeah. we're trying to practice love. I think if someone brings it up then it's like, okay, yeah, I'm a pastor and this is what I do. This is what my life is called to do. This is what I believe in. So if and it organically ha- comes up that they're talking about Jesus, that's not yeah. going to make you run but, for the hills. But when I, when I see people be like, go up to an unhoused person and be like, you know what? Like, I'd love to give you this $10 bill, but like, I just would love to speak the word of the Lord to you first real fast. And it's like, that person might literally be starving. And like, you're just like, taunting them essentially it's just like come on the bible actually even warns against doing that in james it's kind of interesting how we just gloss over stuff sometimes drives me crazy seems like seems like a lot of stuff in the bible is is misinterpreted or glossed over or (laughs) glossed over or ignored i'll be honest if uh i saw a church like i just described and like oh they're doing good things in the community i might even attend on sunday occasionally see what it's about if i saw them doing good things in the community and requiring people to talk to them about christianity first or get a thing like it's a requirement you have to read this track or whatever peace out i would i would not i would not be on board i don't believe that's a, a way to reach people for christ I, I think it's very ill-informed it might be something that worked for some i i know older people in the church who said this guy gave me this track and it changed my whole life i'm really glad that worked for you but that doesn't seem like it's going to reach a lot of people um I mean, I'm glad I can embrace you as a brother in Christ either way, but I don't think it's effective for a lot of people. No. And I would rather just love on them. And then they go, hey, why are you doing this? And say, oh, well, I'm with this church and we think we should feed people in our neighborhood. Yep. Even, even, that, Jesus, even Jesus made it clear. He simply said, you'll be known by the way you love. Like, that's it. Brass yep. taxes. Like you should be the best at loving. You should be so good at loving and not because it's a competition, because it's just a natural outpouring of what you believe and what your faith is. And then that is, that is the invitation that is present there to have any further conversations. Cause naturally if someone's going to ask me what I believe, I want to tell them, I want to talk about it. I want to have those conversations, but well, I'm and also if they're asking gonna... you, they're probably curious about your story. So it's just natural. That's just human interaction. That's natural human interaction. But I'm not going to quid pro quo them and say, uh, yeah. I have to talk to Jesus about doc, talk to you about Jesus for five minutes before these tacos. You know how many times I've seen uh, people tip a fake 20 that ends up being uh uh, like uh, the Lord's Prayer, and it's just Ugh. like it's like one that person was literally serving you for hours, and you are you are denying them a a a, a potentially you know a, a livable wage because of that. Because unfortunately, in this country, we we work off of tips in the service industry, which is also a crime. And I just I want to bring something back for me, full circle, I guess. And there's other names I could use, but I already mentioned his name, and it's Uncle Henry. Um, now, he knew I was a pastor. He knew I went to Point Loma, and I was called to be a pastor, so he didn't, like, share his faith with me necessarily. We talked about his story and his life, um, but, like, he's a guy that I would take places on the weekends and stuff. He had to go, like, we'd go to the bank or we go get lunch. or The way I saw him interact with people, and it could be anybody. The person at Burger King, he liked Burger King for whatever. He'd never gone there until he was like in his late 80s. And the dude loved Burger King. I don't know why. So we went there a lot. And uh, he'd buy me lunch and we'd hang out. And just the way he would talk to people in our country who a lot of, like if you have any wealth, a lot of times you look down on people who serve fast food or whatever. Yep. He treated them with so much respect. People in the grocery store, people at the bank. The way he treated people was Christ-like. He loved people even though he didn't know them. 
and they haven't earned it from him at all. So if I can find a way to be like Uncle Henry, then I feel like I've done a good job of loving people the way Christ has called me to. Now, he was a lot older than me, had a lot more experience, and it showed because he had some rough situations in his life, and it, it, it affected him. But he was also just a very cheerful, humble man, and I, I want to be that. Yeah. I don't necessarily want to be a famous pastor who, who's like a really charismatic preacher. And like, even if I'm genuine and bring a lot of people to the Lord, I would rather be known for how I treat people I don't know when I encounter them in real life, not from a pulpit. You mean you don't want to be Justin Bieber's pastor and then have an affair on your wife? <laughs> no. No I, no, I don't want to do that. No, um, so much no. Oh, yeah, I did goodness. preface it by saying being genuine. So not oh. embezzling, not having an affair, being an actual pastor who loves people and preaches the gospel and is charismatic and like, and does not have terrible moral faults because we're, we're pastors are human. They fall into that stuff. But like yes. the ego is a thing with pastors. But even if I was all of the best parts about being a pastor and none of the bad, I would still rather want to be known for how I treat people in real life when I encounter them than from how I am from pulpit mm-hmm. or in a public image. Yeah. Or when this podcast becomes really big and we get famous and rich. Because um, <laughs> this episode, baby. <laughs> Oh. Patreon. Uh, oh my goodness! But I mean, like, uh, I mean, I want to be known for my actions yeah. in how I love people I don't know and don't owe anything to, more so than how I, you know, treat my loved ones. Just like kind of, you know, like Jesus told us, "Why are you? Why do you think you're special for loving those who love you?" The Gentiles do that. <laughs> so, like the, the heathens. Yeah, the people that aren't. Christian, do they love their own family? They treat people that they love with respect. What's that mean? Love your enemies as yourself. That's hard. That's not easy. The gospel is difficult, and I'm definitely not perfect. But I want to be known for how I treat people, how I love on my kids who are special needs and need help in school, and how I treat them and their parents who are struggling. That's what matters to me. The rest is just fluff, and I don't care about it. I'm, I'm, I'm too. I'm just done with it. I, yeah. I just can't do it anymore. Well, yeah, I guess that's as good a place to stop as any. I don't even know anymore. This, I, I've wanted Andy to be on the podcast forever. Part of it is because... And I've denied uh, him for years. I just he, want everybody to know. He I said did, no for a very long time. He did say no for a long time. <laughs> and and part of it... said is, to you, by the way, Andy. I wanted you on here. I, I, I didn't... Me too. I don't want to just come up with opportunities for cynicism. If anything... I don't think people appreciate and because I am in the minority, right? Like there are so many less millennial pastors than there are 60 plus year old pastors, particularly in our denomination. I don't think people fully appreciate the fact that I don't actually want to blacklist Andy from my life. There are some people that assume that that should be the case, that if Andy, if Andy no longer goes on a Sunday morning to do a thing the way I do, then I should cut ties with him completely. If anything, it's just the opposite. I think Andy provides such invaluable insight to, to me pastoring more than people probably think he should, which is uh, whatever. That's neither here nor there, honestly, but all I have to say, I, I just want to be careful. I know so many people have listened in the past and said, you're just critical cynical. It's like, we have to own stuff sometimes like this is just real life. We're not above reproach, not above evaluation. And I, frankly, I'm very thankful, Andrew, Andy, uh, that you're on this spot. I know you're he, he's folks just for the record, he's sitting out in my parents' backyard 
and it's probably like 15 degrees out and he sat with us for like two hours and he's freezing and so we've, we've been holding on how cold is it do you know what the temperature is that's actually not that cold it's probably like 45 right now. oh okay be 50 it's not even that bad it's 57 ish i'll set the I, scene i got cutoffs on and camo crocs and a hoodie <laughs> Well, yeah, it's it's a nice day for us, but he's probably he's in the shade too. It's gonna be a little bit windy, so it's worth it to to my my passing thought is thank you, Andy. I appreciate you being on here. This last year has been crappy, but weirdly, it's brought all of us a lot closer together. So I thank you for finally finally being willing to jump on this crazy train or whatever. Yeah. Um, but like to our listeners specifically. I don't know. I think 2021, we have to be willing to go and, and hear some hard truths. We have to be willing, especially if we're in leadership in churches or institutions that, that uh, you know, could, could be doing so much better setting an example for what should be. We need to be willing to have those tough, tough conversations, even, even if it's uncomfortable, even if it sounds critical, even if it maybe points out the fact that we're not perfect. Cause guess what? We're not perfect. The taco truck story is cool. Like I still feel like so much more could have been done and it frustrates me full transparency. Um, but with that, with that said, that's part of this new thing we're trying to do as a podcast. Actually, we, we don't want to compete with, uh, with sort of this Joel Osteen cult of personality sort of a thing. <laughs> and so because of that, we're, we're banding with other regular millennials who are in some way, shape or form, uh, in ministry, podcasting, sharing their stories. Right now, as it stands today, there's four podcasters in the network. Um, we're trying to grow it some more. We have some big goals um, to use this uh, platform to actually do tangible good, to do some of this. I mean, potentially even help fund the things like the taco truck sort of a deal. So there's some there's some things in the works. I can't really talk about it yet because it's it's stuff that we're still working on. But as it stands now, we got a podcast about what it's like to be a spouse to a pastor, which is a whole other can of worms that is going to be interesting to be opened up. We have a podcast that's all about planting in COVID with all of these things considered. Their whole deal is actually like, yeah, we need to probably not worry so much about Sunday morning, but worry about relationships, worry about doing stuff together and serving our communities. And then the other podcast is incredibly intriguing to me. It's, it's all about unpacking scripture, um, young biblical scholars, adding their, their commentary to lectionary passages week in and week out. And some of their hot takes are pretty hot takes because they almost regularly challenge some sort of preconception that those subscribing to civil religion would uh, adhere to. So things like nationalism and white privilege and all that fun stuff. Like the Bible actually seems to address some of that stuff. Regardless, I, I think 2021 is ripe for the church to maybe actually like get it right maybe we could get and it right going off what josiah said we're not doing this to be the next big thing in the christian world um most all these voices that we're talking about right now are coming from a nazarene uh perspective people are part of the nazarene church most of them i think i believe all, almost all of them grew up in the nazarene church um okay. and we're we're trying to be a voice for what the church could be in the future. Cause like I said, it's got to change. And I think the people we're working together with have a passion for loving people genuinely and doing the real ministry, not raising money for a new building or whatever. Um, so I'm excited to get those voices out. And if we band together, we can 
cross promote and support each other. And even at some point, we're gonna, I think we should probably mention what's going on with people and stuff. And then it's like, hey, we were talking about, if we're having a conversation with Andy about something, you know, Taco Truck Church, and it's relevant to where other podcasts are hitting. Say, so, hey, check this one out, this episode. We talk about that too. And, and it's just some solid stuff. I think that for the future of the church, we need to realize we got to do things differently. And I think this is what we're trying to do. Be an encouragement, even though I'm very cynical and I have been cynical in this podcast and the way, you know, I ranted. Um, I still want to be a part of the church and I still think it's important. And I think these voices can help us figure out maybe some of the ways we can go in the future and we won't be perfect, but it could well, be helpful. It's already a win. Andy's listened to a couple of our podcasts. So that's kind of a big deal. <laughs> I, I think I've listened to a majority of your podcast, actually. Oh, yes. All we're trying to do is offer kind of a, a, a different narrative. There's like the mainstream narrative, and we're not really interested in playing the games that, you know, those cult of personality, big name people play. But that's at, at the same time, I feel convicted that we almost have to compete to some degree to offer something different. Um, not play the game, but at least address the fact that there's there is a kind of a competition for the heart of the church in this country, and I'm, I haven't quite given up on on that challenge just yet. So, with all that said, Andrew, once again, uh, thank you genuinely for for being willing to jump on this thing with me and Byron, yep. and uh, and share some hot takes about where you feel. <laughs> the church had got it wrong and maybe a little bit of what it could do to get back on the straight and narrow, which sounds just for what it's worth. We did a heathen thing, but you kept saying stuff that it seems like Jesus himself said we should do as well. Isn't it ironic? I just I always want to, I just want to put up that Alanis Morissette gif that isn't it ironic. I always want to use that, even though that's like a really old song. That's all I can ever think of in moments like this. Also, none of those things she mentions are ironic. That actually, the older I get, the more that song annoys me because I'm being, like, it's just frustrating. It's, it's like rain, this is rain on a wedding day. Is that what it is? One of yes. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty ironic. The free Byron. ride that you, that you already paid, you know? Oh, like, honor it. How, how ironic, Byron, that it's not yeah. ironic. It's ironic how unironic it is. Maybe it's like a meta thing, dude. Like, oh, I, I don't think that's I irony either. I mean, I could be wrong, but I just I'm don't. Sure. Just, I think she's just more advanced than you, Byron. Yeah. Well, she did play God in Dogma, so oh am I, you know, who am I to say to question Alanis Morissette? Well, listeners, thank you for listening to our podcast. <laughs> if you made it this far, before we listen to the wonderful outro music that yours, your, my my brother himself created for us, uh, we'd like to remind you that we want to hear back from you. Please review, subscribe, share, even if you feel so inclined. Um, and if you didn't know, Anchor has a way to like ask questions there's a way to send us voice questions which is a whole thing that i'm supposed to i say. didn't know that by the way i feel stupid now for having yeah. a podcast as long and not knowing that we could have literally so interacting with people isn't it ironic. ironic it's irony man i'm just so, i'm an idiot i don't so know ironic. tell us how unironic or how ironic you think that thing is uh, we got to end this guys oh my lanta uh i'm i'm <laughs> i'm josiah this is a podcast where we hold on how does the outro go um, if you're interested in hearing more about young people, their hot takes on ministry or what they're actually doing in it, that's, that's what's coming up next. We have a pastor who we're going to grill about how he did or didn't survive 
through 2020 and what his plans are for 2021. Please stay tuned. Maybe we'll even get more nuns and duns because I feel like this is the time to take serious inventory. As Maybe I'll even come back. Yeah, get, get it. Come back and Andrew Part again. Two. Let's yeah. do it. Andrew I got more Parker. hot takes, y'all. All right. Well, I mean, I'm down. We can talk about that. But uh, I've been your host, Josiah. I'm your co-host, Byron. And uh, this has been the Millennial Pastor Podcast. Thank you very much for listening.